0: Appreciate that, Brenda. It's, it's funny, I mentioned this first service. A lot of you guys can't see that Brenda is usually, she's bouncing and she's doing the announcements. And she's like the kid that you bring into the candy store and they can't see over the counter. So they're on their tippy toes trying to see you guys. So the whole time she's like trying to see over the podium here, trying to see what was. <laughs> she's like, I'm not gonna do that. Um, no, I'm gonna, I, get, I get to share with you this morning, Pastor Jody and, and Pastor Ira are at the Foursquare Conference. that's in Washington, D.C. And so they'll be there all week. Um, being a part of that. And so I get the awesome opportunity to, to bring the word of God to you this morning. So as we go into that, if you just close your eyes with me, let's just welcome God into this place as we share uh, his words. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your presence that is so powerful, Lord, in this place. And God, we just pray that as we open up your words, as, as, as you enlighten us, as you speak to our hearts, God, that we would take the words that are shared, Lord, that you would use me um, to, to pass on these words, God, to challenge the people um, with what you have been challenging me with, God, and as we walk out of here, that we walk out of here taking your words and applying them to our life, and so we just give you this morning in your precious name, Amen. All right, um, last weekend I wasn't here because I was one of the guys that got to go to man camp with my boys, and so we were uh, in Moab, and on the the Saturday, uh, the, the bi- basically the bigger day that we had to, to go out and enjoy the beautiful sights of Moab. Um, we'd gone fishing that morning, we'd taken our boys out in the canoe and, and tried to fish in a canoe with three little boys, it was really tough. Because um, canoes are, are, you know, if, if you have people in there you're balancing up pretty well, but we had two big guys on the end and then the little guys in the middle, and every time they moved, it's like going to send you over the edge. So that was an enjoyment. Um, but we went from there and, and we took the boys out and uh, it was Tim Muir and Heber, myself and Bo, and we took our boys and we took our BB guns out and we set up targets for them. They were shooting and then we went on just on a little hike and there was a waterfall right by our campsite and we drove up to the backside of it and hiked down this waterfall and it was a pretty simple little hike, just a little jaunt and the, rest of the most of the rest of the guys had gone and, and hiked up to the arch and got to see that so it was just different things happening and but it was just a simple hike and it uh, started me thinking about that and, and uh, about 10 years ago, my wife's brother invited my wife and I to go on a hike with him and he's like, Mountain man intense. And I was going to say that this morning, you see that um, a lot of people, I I think I was mentioning this to Bill, a lot of our people are not here this morning because they all went camping. And I'm like, so it must be all the true campers. And I thought about it, I'm like, no, all the true camper people stayed home because they didn't want to be a part of that crazy rookie crowd that's out there, right? Because everybody's up there camping. But uh, we we decided to go hiking. He took us on this hike. And so we grabbed our backpacks. We loaded up with our backpacks, our um, sleeping pads, our cooking gear. Um, I grabbed my gun, I grabbed clothing, we had food, we had water, uh, fishing gear, we th- thought that we had everything, and we loaded up in our backpacks, and so all of us were carrying our backpacks, and got out of the car where we were going, it was in Idaho, and uh, took off, and it was pretty pretty nice at first, we're just going through the forest, crossing a few rivers, and I'm like, hey, this is, this is not bad, and then we hit our trailhead, and it went straight up, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing? And so we packed up, and we started just heading straight up the hill, and we were going and going, and I felt like that little kid in the back seat of the car saying, are we there yet? You know, this, this better be worth it. Um, and, and it was. Once we got up to our spot, there was a beautiful lake up there that we end up uh, camping in. Um, got to actually share it with a bear, which wasn't as fun, but it was kind of cool to see. Uh, got to fish, got to, you know, enjoy our time up there. But I started thinking about that, and, and sometimes, you know, our walk with Christ seems a little bit like that journey. You know, we get everything put together and it, it starts out pretty easy and things are going pretty smooth and all of a sudden we hit the trailhead, and and whether it's trouble or whether it's just normal things in life that hit us, we start going and going. oh, I hope this is worth it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm getting wore out. I'm getting kind of you know beaten up here, and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the mountainside, and we've been talking as a church on the Beatitudes and and Jesus sitting down on a mountainside, and so that's what we're going to do this morning, and, and it's more of just a the Moab type of a jaunt that you don't need your backpack and everything to go with you on this. It's just us going up there and, and really um, sitting down in the shade and hearing what God has to say to us and being challenged by this. As we go into the, the the topic of the Beatitudes and as I shared with you guys, it was Jesus sitting among his disciples, bringing them up. The people that were gathered around him were on this mountainside, and he began to share with them. and, and I'm going to take the things that he shared and challenge you with them this morning. But I heard a sermon once that said this, if you know how to empty your church, have Jesus speak. And you think about that and you're like, well, wouldn't it be the other way around? You know, if someone heard that Jesus is going to be at such and such church, everybody would show up, right? You know, but if you really think about the times that Jesus spoke in the word of God and the times that he challenged us, he didn't pull any punches. He was pretty straightforward. And the things he asked us to do, he looked straight at us and said, this is what I want you to do. And it would be really hard to sit there and look at our Savior in the eyes and, and know where our life was at and say, wow, I'm really missing the mark. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to climb up on the mountainside. We're going to sit down and we're going to walk through a little bit of the scriptures and hear what Jesus had to say to us and be challenged by it. So the, the last few weeks, um, last week, Jody shared on... Uh, persecution. And the week before that, I know Kevin had spoken. They're talking about the, the Beatitudes. And if you haven't been here or if you knew, um, that's kind of what we've been walking through is Matthew 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 5 because we're going to be chatting a little bit about that and walking through that. But a Sermon on the Mount, and, and more importantly, the first little bit was called the Beatitudes. And I'm going to share with you a little bit, um, give you a little bit of history, a little background first, and then we'll dive into where I want to go with this. But the term itself, Beatitudes, um, It means extolled behaviors and attitudes. And that these Beatitudes, and not just the ones that Jesus shared on, were recognized in Jewish wisdom literature. But with a difference. In Jewish wisdom teachings, doing good generally resulted in getting you a tangible reward. So good deeds yielded good rewards. And sometimes we think about that as Christians also, right? If I'm good, then good things should happen. But in fact, Jesus' Beatitudes warned that this world would not always recognize the rightness of righteousness. And so he starts us off with the Beatitudes. And um, again, the first couple verses, he says he sat down with his disciples and then he goes into the, the whole teaching. And the first seven Beatitudes that are found in verses three through nine, it, this is where Jesus sat down. And, and what he does here in these first seven Beatitudes is he shows us the character of those who enter into a relationship with Jesus. So he starts off saying, I want to I show you what the character... Of, of those who should be in this relationship with Jesus, what it would look like. And then the next two Beatitudes he goes into in verses 10 through 12, he then shows us, and, and we talk, touched on these the last two weeks, he shows us the conflict that such character brings in a world that does not recognize Jesus as Lord. So we hear the Beatitudes, we hear about the character that we ha- should have in Christ, and then we hear that there's conflict that comes along with following after Jesus Christ. And then the remainder of the sermon, and it's quite a long sermon, It will be longer than mine this morning. Um, But the sermon that Jesus goes into carries on from there, verses 13, all the way to chapter 7, verse 27. And you can read through the whole thing, and we're just going to touch on just a little portion of it and talk about a little portion of it. But the, the remainder of this sermon, Jesus goes from talking about the character we have in Christ to the conflict that will come, and then the rest of it talks about the conduct of those who are believers in Christ. So we have Jesus defining the character of a believer, the conflict we face as believers, and now the conduct of believers. And so this leads us into the scripture I'm going to talk about this morning. And there's a group of scriptures that that come right after the Beatitudes, verses 13 through 16, and they're really clumped together, and they really have meaning that go well together. Um, But Pastor Jody said, I really want to share on, on the light part of it. So verses 14 through 16, she's going to share on next week about us being the light of the world. And she's going to share about how to share your faith. And if you've ever been around Jody and if you ever were around Eric when he was here, is they were incredible witnesses. They were incredible about sharing who Jesus Christ was in their life. And so she's going to teach us as lights of the world how to share our faith next week. So you want to be a part of that. But I'm just taking a, a little verse that was thrown in there in, in between there in verse uh, 13 of Matthew chapter five. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning and emphasize this morning. So Matthew 5:13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we're going to start off and say, okay, how does this apply to me? We're going to focus on how we should influence others, becoming salt shakers in Salt Lake City, right? The first thing we're going to do is establish the purpose behind the statement. What is the purpose behind the statement that Jesus is making right here? And so the first part I put on here is a life of influence, a life of influence. And we think about that, we all influence others. You know, back then they didn't have Facebook or Pinterest or all those ways of communicating, cell phones. Most of their interaction was face-to-face. And they saw people face-to-face and they had the influence of being with that person and around that person and we can do either, we, we can either do it for good or we can do it for bad on our influence with other people. And Jesus challenges us to use our influence for the good. And I found this interesting. I, there was a study that was done that showed the average introvert will influence 10,000 people in his or her lifetime. That's the introvert. So if you're an introvert, an introvert raise your hand. I just want to see if the introverts would do it. Most of them are like, I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> That's why I'm introverted. Um... But the extroverts can influence over a million people. So the first question I throw out is, who has God put in your life that you can influence? Who has God put in your life that you can influence? You know, a lot of us, and maybe we've had kids. I know Art and Rachel had their little baby and they have it in the back there. You know, that's one of the first people that we have in our life that we truly know that we influence as we bring up our own children. As, as we start to guide them and, and, and raise them as they should go, and, and we have that influence. But who are you influencing in your own life? So we start off again, who was Jesus talking to when he was addressing the people in Matthew chapter 5? He was talking to believers. Those who already believed that he was Jesus and that he was our Savior. And Luke writes Almost this exact same verse, but he has it in a different context. He doesn't have it in the sense of talking about the Beatitudes and going there, but he uses almost the same words. And so I pulled it out in Luke chapter 14, and I just mixed in just a couple of the verses. I'm not going to read through all those verses. And here Luke is challenging us what the cost is to be a disciple. What does it cost us to be a disciple? And in verse 27, he starts off with, and he says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me... Cannot be my disciple. And I mentioned this at man camp as we were discussing the same same part of scripture. And I, I, I said, you know, think about that. Here he is talking to his disciples, and he says, if any man does not carry his cross and follow me, he can't be his disciple. And these these disciples, what that means to them is different than what it means to us. Because for us, we realize what happened on the cross. We realize that Jesus died for us and his, his blood was shed for us. And so when the cross is mentioned to us, we're like, of course. What it means to carry, carry our cross is to, to really believe in what Jesus did and, and go after that. But these disciples were sitting there going, what does he mean? You know, the cross is a bloody way of brutal torture. What is Christ trying to say to me right now about taking up my cross and following him? And, and through scripture and what we're going to be doing this morning is what is Christ trying to tell us through what we're reading here? But Luke goes on and in verse 33, he says, in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And this is the verse that really resembles the one in Matthew that we find. that says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Luke is saying if we lose our saltiness, we're not worth the crap right? If you look at that verse, you know, and I wanted to find some way to put poop in my sermon, there it was, because he's really talking about that. The salt, when it loses its saltiness, it's not even worth to be thrown on the manure pile. It, it loses it, it's, its benefit even for that, and if we lose our saltiness, it says that we're not even worthy of the manure pile. We're not worth the crap, and as we, as we continue on, I was a scripture I was going to read to start us off with found in James one twenty two, that says, "'Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says.'" And I wanted to throw that in there in the beginning because we also read here in Luke where it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is my challenge to you this morning that don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Take what I'm gonna share this morning and say, how do I apply this to my life? And so here we are, we're continuing on. We know that we all have influence. We know there's people in our life that, that we come in contact with, that we run into, that we in some way, shape or form, um, have an influence on. But the second thing is that the thing I want us to emphasize is, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? And the word disciple is is found in the Greek as methetes, and I'm probably butchering it in the Greek. But what it means is learner or student. Learner or student. If you desire to know more of God, then you're a disciple. If you are a student of of his word saying, God, if I'm going to follow you, I want to know more about you, you're a disciple. And it says some powerful things about the disciples. It's even said in Acts 17, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These same disciples, and I'm gonna describe them in a minute, were, were men who turned the world upside down. And they were just ordinary, regular people. So when you look at disciples, you'll be faced with a stunning fact. The men the Savior chose were nothing more than ordinary men. Among them were a handful of common fishermen that probably knew each other from being on the shores or passing each other on the boat saying, hey, where's the, where are the fish hitting? You know, where, where should I fish at? So they kind of knew each other. And these were some of the men that Jesus had called that were just ordinary men. He called a hated tax collector to be a disciple of Christ, an impulsive zealot. They were all hopelessly human, remarkably unremarkable. But they were available and obedient to the master's call. So as I looked at that, I said, you know, how, how could I be a disciple? What makes up a disciple? And I found five things that, that in scripture that Jesus said about his disciples. And I'm like, okay, this I can associate with some of this. I understand where he's coming from. So the first one, that he, and he's describing the disciples, he said, they were thick-headed and lacked spiritual understanding. Luke twenty four twenty five and he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. These were the men that had walked with Jesus. They saw him at his best and at his worst. They saw him heal people, feed 5,000. You know, if anybody should be, you know, strong followers of him, and yet here he is saying that they were thick-headed and lacked spiritual understanding. The second thing that he describes his disciples as is they lacked humility. They were self-absorbed, self-centered, self-promoting, and proud. And some of us are going, oh, that's me. You know, I can be very self-centered. You know, my Christianity is all about me. Luke 9.46 says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Imagine that. They're sitting there going, oh, man, I think he likes me more. You know, I think I'm his favorite. I sit by him every time we sit down to eat. You know, he's always talking to me. You know, and Jesus is probably just shaking his head saying, they just don't get it, you know. It's not about that. So they lacked humility. The third thing that they lacked is it said they lacked faith. There's a common phrase used over and over in Matthew by Jesus towards his disciples. It's found in Matthew 6.30, Matthew 8.26, Matthew 14, 31, and again in Matthew 16, 8. And he says these five little words over and over again when he's describing his disciples. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Do you find sometimes in your life that you're lacking faith in God? That you're struggling and your faith is is not what it should be? So here the disciples are thick-headed and lack spiritual understanding. They lacked humility. They lacked faith. The fourth thing is they lacked commitment. When they came to arrest Jesus, Mark 14, 50 says that they all left him and fled. The same men who said, we'll never leave you. We'll always be there. And yet when trouble came, they're out of there. They're gone. And how many of us lack commitment in our walk with God? Our relationship with God is an afterthought. It's, we, we add it to everything else we, we do in this life. So they lacked Humility, faith, commitment, and the last thing is they lacked power. In Acts 4.13, they were described this way. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were astonished because something changed. These men had been with Jesus, and I thought, well, what was was so different? So I took the two words that they called these men, uneducated, and common men. I'm like, what do those words mean? And in the Greek, the first one is agram- agramatē, and the second one was idiotae. i like, oh, I know what that one means. <laughs> you know, It's pretty plain. And so literally what he was saying is the, these men are illiterate ignoramuses. How are these illiterate ignoramuses doing what they're doing now? And they brought it all back because it's because these men had been with Jesus. So we have, do we have any of these things in our own life this morning? Do we look at some of these, these things and say, wow, you know, they were pretty ordinary. They did struggle. They did have these things. And I, and I thought about this is, you know, they recognized that they had been with Jesus and that they, they had something different. You know, are, are there any of us in here that would say, hey, I'm an ignoramus this morning? Can you just stand up? <laughs> you know, no, you don't have to. But it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's these people were just common, regular people. And it didn't have to be anyone special, and and you didn't have to have all these degrees or all these things behind your name. They were just regular people that that had spent time with Jesus, and they were turning their world upside down. So we recognize that we can all fit in the category of a disciple. But something happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even Salt Lake City. I added that last part. You know? And so that's what Christ is calling us to do, that, that he's saying, you know what? I can use regular people to be witnesses because, number one, we've already, we've already, you know, went and said that we all have influence. There's people in our life that we influence. So Jesus talked to how we should have character, there will be conflict And in the conduct of the disciples, we learn that we can be ignoramuses or we can be disciples of Christ. But where does the salt come in? What does Jesus mean by the salt? And so I'm just going to give you a a couple examples as Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. Salt in the ancient world was very important. It wasn't just something they put on their food that raised their blood pressure, right? The Romans called salt theon, which is the word for divine. Salt had power back then. It was very important. Salt had two primary uh, two primary functions that it had. I know there's many more for that, but we're going to focus on on really two primary functions that salt had at that time. First of all, salt is the essential, or it adds season and flavor. The first thing that we find in salt is to add season and flavor. Salt is the essential to the health of humans and other animals and is one of the five basic taste sensations. I mean, God created us to, have, to taste the sensation of salt. Our tongues were made that way. Almost any place you go, salt is available, right? I mean, there's salt shakers, and, or you can get salt at the restaurants, or wherever you go, you're going to have salt available to season things or add flavor to it. And I remember back, um, I'm not a good cook, uh, even though I was a bachelor for, I think, about nine years before I got married. Um, I worked in the restaurant business, so that made it easy to eat food there instead. Um, but i like to I, every once in a while i'll bake cookies, or I can grill i 'm a mean grill guy, but uh, i 'm not the, the greatest of cooks and so one time I remember baking cookies and leaving out the salt, and the chocolate chip cookies were usually so good and i 'm like there's this man these don 't taste good at all The chocolate chip cookies what and just leaving such a simple little piece out of it just changed the taste of the cookies so much and and The other example I have a salt, which really doesn 't go into my sermon, but I had to share it anyway um, when we my wife and I first got married. Um, if you've ever been around over to our house or eaten some of my wife's food, she's a great cook, and it shows in my body. Um, but she, she cooks things, and it's just pretty amazing, but it didn't start out that way. And I remember our, our first year of marriage, she decided that she was going to make beef stroganoff, because I love beef stroganoff. And the recipe that she had, something was wrong, and she had, it called for way, way too much salt. And so she threw that salt in there, just not knowing, and she made the beef stroganoff, and she was so excited when I got home from work, and she had the plates out, and I'm like, yes, beef stroganoff, until I took the first bite. And being the good husband, because it was only our first year of marriage, you had to kind of like, hmm, this is great. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. if I've to eat this whole plate. And she's like looking at me, because she tasted the same thing, and she's like, oh, you're lying to me, (laughs) because this is not good. And I like spit it out, going, I'm so glad you said the same thing, because I didn't want to eat this whole thing. Um, but it was like had way too much salt in it. And we went out to eat because that was much better. But, but salt and the power that salt has. Um, you know, if you watch any cooking show, they, they say that there's the importance of seasoning things right. Having the right season in there and you really can make or break how well something tastes. But salt also makes you extremely thirsty. Uh, I coach baseball and we have sunflower seeds galore, you know, whether it's a practice or at the games and we're, we're eating them. And if you ever ate a bunch of sunflower seeds, there's, there's a point where your mouth feels like it's just gonna rot away. It's like, I got to get some water, you know, or if you're gone to a baseball game and you get the peanuts, you're eating through the peanuts and you're like, man, I'm so thirsty or a bag of chips, you know, salt makes you more thirsty. It, 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 it dries your mouth up in that sense. And so it brings season, it brings flavor, it makes you more thirsty. And the other thing that salt was used for, is, it's a preservative and salt was the primary way you could preserve your meat and food. There's no freezers back then, no fridges. So they would take salt and rub it into the meat. Once they rubbed it thoroughly into the meat, it would preserve it and keep it longer so they could take it with them or store it longer for their own consumption. They also used it as an antiseptic to clean out wounds, and it was so valuable around that time of history that even the Roman soldiers would get paid in salt. And so that was a form of, of, of way of being paid. That's where the whole phrase came in, he's not worth his salt, because you weren't worth your pay, because it was so valuable. And it was almost almost as valuable as gold of having that kind of money was having salt to to be able to preserve your food and do all these different things with it. And so we we understand this now that that there's something that that Christ was trying to emphasize to us in this. And so now we're going to enter into the application. How does this apply to me, Chase? So we're sitting with Jesus, and he starts off with defining the character of a believer, the conflict we face and the conduct of the believer. We then establish that all of us have influence, And can be disciples of Christ. And then Christ asks us to be the salt of the earth. How does he do that? Jesus' disciples, which is us, are called to season and bring flavor through the good news of Jesus Christ by acting as salt to the world that is yearning for a taste of God's power and God's presence, which brings about a thirst for more of him. Are people thirsty for the Jesus that's in your life? Why or why not? Jesus is also challenging us to preserve the world, to literally rub into our culture and to be a preservative to our culture for God and for the good, to help clean the wounds of those who have been injured and hurt by the things of this world, and to preserve the decay we see going on all around us. You know it's, it's hard to even turn on the news nowadays because no matter what it is, whether it's international or local, it's the decay of our world. We see things happening that are just devastating, from the, from the bombings and death and, and, and wars that are going on to our own city of, of killings and, and things happening that are such a decay in our world. And yet, we're called to be the salt in this decaying world. We're called to preserve the things that are happening in this world. You know, we as a church are trying to help you on this one. You know, one of the, one of the decays of this world right now that's eating away is pornography. And it's, and it's escalating the percentage of people that, that are involved in this. And, and it's affecting women as much as, as men. And it's, it's just eating away, not only outside of the church, but inside of the church. You know, in a few weeks, we're starting a series on Wednesday night. And it's called the Conquer Series, and we're taking our young men through it that are in our youth group on Wednesday nights, but we're also asking the men of this church to be a part of this. And we're asking you to be a part of this, maybe not because you struggle with it now, or maybe you've struggled with it in the past, but we all have influence. And, and we may know someone else who's struggling with this, and we don't have all the answers. But we're going to help you guys be able to, to look at some of these things and be able to walk some people through this or walk yourself through this and say, God, I need to get rid of this decay in this world. I need to be different. And so that's starting June 14th on on Wednesday nights. It's 10 bucks. And we're covering the cost for our young men to be a part of this because it's so powerful. I mean, the percentages of of people that are involved in this, it's escalating. It's over 80% of our our men are involved in this or have been exposed to this. And we look at our kids, and and because of um, the the computers and everything that we have, they will be influenced by this period. As many many times as we try to put things up there to block it or whatever, they're going to be exposed to this and how are we as a church going to stop the decay that's happening in this world by bringing them the salt so we are called to be salt shakers in our world how how do we become salt shakers we need to be accessible and available always at hand or within reach the church is called to flavor and to preserve every aspect of life and culture countering the impact of decay of sin and evil in this world are we a thriving church Are we salt? Brian Ficker put it this way when he says, we cannot hope for the transformation of people without the involvement of the local church and the verbal proclamation of the gospel that has been entrusted to it. Without us being the salt, the world's gonna decay. The closing challenge found at the end of this teaching by Jesus. Just like any closing in a sermon, you want to try to get something across. And so here it is, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is finishing up in chapter 7, and he challenges us with this. And I want to challenge you guys with the same thing as we close this out. But in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 28, hear the words of Jesus as he closes out this teaching that he's been given us. He says it this way. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. You don't have to be an ignoramus anymore. He's saying, you know what? If you hear the words that I'm giving to you right now, if you apply them to your life, if you become what I'm saying here, you'll be like a wise man. And when the things of this world come against you, And the rain falls and and the battles happen and loss happens and all these things that you'll stand strong. You'll be wise. But if you don't adhere to the things and the teachings that are found in my word and listen to my voice, you'll be like the foolish man. When trouble comes and evil comes, you're going to fall apart. You're going to struggle. You're going to fall into these things. And so, I don't know, Miranda, did you pass out the salt? salt? I was going to have her do that earlier. If you guys could pass out the salt packets. And I'm going to close with handing you out a salt packet. I know it's a simple thing. Um, in, in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, a lot they carried a lot, along with them a lot of symbols that represented things that, that were important to them as believers. And I'm not saying that this is important to you as a believer, but I want to get a point across as you carry these salt packets out with you. It's a simple thing to remind you that we are to be the salt of this earth and that Christ challenged us to be salt, to bring savor, to bring flavor to a thirsty land to preserve the decay that's happening in this world. And so I want you to, to keep the salt packet in your hand. I want you to look at it. And I'm going to give you four questions. And I want you to think about those four questions as Adam sings this song and challenges you with this song and shares a little bit about it. And then I'll get up at, at the very end and close in prayer. But think about these four questions as you hold the salt packet in your hand, as you kind of walk through this. And the first question I have for you is, who are you influencing and How? Maybe someone you work with, maybe a neighbor, a family member, a school friend, a teammate. The church itself reaches a small circle of people, whereas the people of the church, the circle goes on and on and on. You know, we'll have people come into these doors and we can focus and we can reach them and share the gospel with them. But you guys walk outside of these doors and have a multiple of people that you influence, that you touch. Are you the salt of the earth? Are you the salt that Jesus talked about? So the first thing is who are you influencing? and how. You can even look at your own family and say, how am I influencing my own family? The second question I want you to think about as you hold that salt packet is, are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a learner and a student of his word? And how are you doing that? How are you growing in your walk with God? What kind of time do you invest in it? As Jesus stated in in Luke, when he talked about not just being hearers, but doers also, he challenged us that we have to empty everything to be a disciple of Christ and follow after him. He has to be the most important thing in our life. So are you a disciple of Christ? The third question I want you to think about is how is your saltiness? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Do people thirst for more of the Jesus that's in your life? Does your family thirst for more of the Jesus in your life? Do your coworkers, your friends, your teammates, thirst for more of the Jesus that's found in your life? And the last question I want to challenge you with is are we salt shakers? What are you going to do with your salt? You know, the piece of salt I give you, you can drop it in the garbage on the way out. Can lose it somewhere in your car. I challenge you to put it somewhere that it would always remind you of the salt that we're supposed to show. Maybe it's best to put it in your car when you're driving, right? And that guy cuts you off. And you're like, oh, and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be the salt. That's not a great thing to do, even though he's it wrong, you know, and I want to show him that he's it wrong. Am I the salt? It's hard. But I want it to be a constant reminder of saying, Am I being the salt? Am I bringing flavor and savor to a a world that's decaying? Am I helping preserve it? So what are you going to do with your salt this morning?